This is a poem from Mary Oliver. When I am among trees, when I am among the trees, especially the willows and the honey locust, equally the beech, the oaks and the pines, they give off such hints of gladness. I would almost say that they save me and daily. I am so distant from the hope of myself in which I have goodness and discernment and never hurry through the world, but walk slowly and bow often. Around me, the trees stir in their leaves and call out, stay a while. The light flows from their branches and they call again. It's simple, they say, and you too have come into the world to do this, to go easy, to be filled with light and to shine. To go easy, to be filled with light and to shine. There's a famous koan or teaching from the Zen tradition that we often invoke during this retreat, the oak tree in the front yard. It's quite a simple story and it goes like this. A student asked their teacher in group Sanzen, what is Zen practice? What is this all about? The teacher replied, the oak tree in the front yard. The oak tree in the front yard. Koans are stories of awakening. What we call in Zen practice realization, awakening practice realization. And practice happens at many levels. It happens at the essence level. Koans in a way cut right to the heart, the heart of the matter, but right to our heart, to its essence. They reveal the radiance of mind's nature, the life-giving light of awareness that gives life to our life, to this life. They tell us in their images and direct language that awakening, healing, freedom is not an intellectual exercise, meaning we cannot use thoughts to understand the freedom of no thought. That thinking about awareness is markedly different than actually being aware. And probably as many of you have discovered, there is a big difference between thinking about breath practice or thinking about trees and the actual lived experience of breathing, of being, listening to the wind blowing through the trees. being absorbed in their swaying branches.
Koans can trick the thinking mind into paying attention. Sometimes the answer is just so different than what the thinking mind could possibly conceive. What is the meaning of sashin? Why are we doing this Zen practice? The oak tree in the front yard. What? What? Wait, what? You said the essence of practice is a tree? Sometimes it happens instantaneous like that. The mind just stops. What was expected in the exchange is not what is actually happening. And for an instant, the mind can't find itself, can't find a reference point, freezes or dissolves. And what's left is the spacious light of our own awareness. And even the thought of that label isn't. And other times, awakening happens more gradually. We're sitting with a tree, sitting, attending to its bark, or the dappled light coming through the canopy, sitting, breathing, sitting, breathing, and suddenly we notice that the boundary has dissolved. There's no me looking at tree, or it might even feel that tree is looking at us, but yet through the same eyes, that we are looking through. And the boundary between tree and person dissolves tempo temporarily and the light of awareness is freed from that tight grip of self-centered view and shines equally on and from the whole forest, tree and star, slug and leaf, pine cone and maple. Koans also give us instruction on how to practice meditation. This one says, well, go sit like a tree. Or even better, if and when you have the opportunity, go sit with the oak tree in the front yard, or the noble fir by the cafeteria, or the plum tree in the back, or the broad leaf maple in the forest. Which trees have chosen you to sit with during this sashin? Have you noticed the qualities of the trees you have meditated with this past week? I remember one sashin, I sat with trees on the edge of our property line. I was just drawn to them. They tended to have a protective or guardian energy. They were often tall or wide and a little gnarly too, like a bouncer. And they, for me that week emanated a sense of fierce compassion, a strong unguardedness, yet loving, 
This year I have been drawn to the small, simple, perhaps trees I wouldn't even normally recognize or usually overlook, like one of the cedars in this meadow and a vine maple in the forest that was skinny. Perhaps the qualities that the tree possesses or that you notice when you sit with them are part of the mystery of why the two of you came together at all. In Japan, they have a phrase, Ichigo Ichie. Ichigo Ichie. One chance, one meeting. Everyone we encounter, we only meet once. Every leaf, every breeze, every blade of grass. What is it to really meet another? Are we not, can we not help but be transformed in the process? When we are quiet and attentive, open-minded, interested in learning, humble and kind, or at least practicing these qualities, the natural world becomes more interested in us. Some people have the experience during this session of small animals, chipmunks, voles, maybe a mouse, running either over their lap or coming really close to their sitting spot and then running away and then coming close or taking a sniff, a whiff. I once, when sitting on the porch in the meditation cabin um, on that side of the forest, on that side of the Jizo garden, uh, had some small birds land on my head. I was inviting them for about an hour. <laughs> Others have had intimate encounters with owls and deer. Somebody last year had this encounter where they were looking just directly into a deer's eyes for many for much of the meditation period. Some people have had the joy and wonder of a coyote revealing themselves. When we are practicing attention, the world responds. The flowers, trees, earth, grasses respond to our presence, our kindness, our compassion. They relax as we relax could be as they recognize that we're not a threat, as we learn to walk in the forest more as beings that come from the earth and not as invaders, or walk a little more gently, uh, they relax and open their home to us. There have been scientific studies revealing that the molecules in water respond to positive and negative thoughts and phrases that plants respond to human touch and even the shadows human ca humans cast on their leaves when they walk by, that plants can recognize their kin, that they have networks underground to communicate with each other, to share nutrients and resources with each other, and to warn each other about incoming threats of harm. Dr. Gagalino is studying now how plants seem to learn. 
many people have this direct experience being in the presence of trees, that there is some form of communication. Some people experience it through thought or perhaps an inner voice or an inner sense that the tree told them something. Or perhaps as a feeling tone or, or an image. Trees too are pointing out the nature of mind. Trees are always resting completely in themselves. They're presencing. They're full in full participation with what is. Just this. They are showing up completely as they are. And they are emanating a kind of silence and confidence. I often feel that the forest is already in samadhi, in interconnected oneness. And so when we practice in the forest, it is less about doing something to our minds to concentrate and more like entering receptively into the presence and silence and you could say concentration of the forest. Trees aren't so concerned with our human thoughts. The human mind, small m mind, is very small in the forest. Awareness though is heightened. Presence and interconnection are vividly awake in the forest. So when you sit in the forest and find a tree to sit with, let the tree become your meditation subject. Rest your attention on the tree. And allow yourself to come into the tree's world, the tree's presence. How is the tree experiencing this breeze right now? How does the tree hear the bird song? How does the tree experience the sun, the change in light? the change in temperature. Open your senses and listen to the tree. And when you're alone in the forest with the tree, if the tree allows, Feel the tree, actually touch it with your hands, with your back, with your face. Smell the tree, embrace the tree, lay below the tree and look up at its canopy. I was doing this last night during Sanzen with people and we were in the Jizo garden and it was so amazing to see how the quality of light changed 
throughout the night as the sun was setting and the moon was rising and the stars were coming out, coming through that canopy. It was a canopy of mostly maple, vine maples and broadleaf maples. We can come to know the tree through our senses, emptying the mind of self-centered thoughts and toggling, Koto's analogy, toggling to awareness. But it really comes down to what is your direct experience being in the presence of trees? And it's not something you need to report back or find any words for. It's actually just what is your experience moment to moment being in the presence of trees? Like Sashin is, what is your experience moment to moment being on the earth, breathing? What does it feel like in the physical body to be in the presence of trees? What does it feel like in the heart? Is there a feeling tone? Does it bring up an emotion? As you sit with a tree, you may feel that you want to ask the tree something or tell the tree something. So tonight, Koto and I will not be offering Sanzen. And we would like you instead to go out into the forest and sit with a tree for a good portion of the night and have Sanzen with the tree. Ask the tree your deepest spiritual questions or about your practice or if something comes up, see how the tree would respond. You'll have the opportunity to sit with a tree and really get to know the tree. And perhaps find an ally or a friend in this tree. I think a lot about practice as coming into friendship. And we come into friendship with ourselves primarily and then that begins to extend to this community of more than human worlds, earth, sky, trees, and then of course to other human beings. So how do you come to know someone as a friend or an ally? How does the intimacy of silent attention, of curiosity, of putting the other before oneself, make for close connection, for communion with another, with an apparent other. And as you're sitting with a tree throughout this sashin, be receptive that the tree may have something that it wants to share with you. Perhaps it chose you and chose you for a reason. People have I, chosen has given this instruction before and I've given this instruction before during the session and people have often said, 
I thought you were crazy when you were talking about the tree and having Sanzen with the tree and that the tree wanted to talk to me. And then it did. <laughs> so you can roll your eyes now, but. <laughs> Humans, though, are often fascinated by interspecies communication. And I think the more that we pay attention, the more we discover that interspecies communication is actually just how the natural world works. And humans have stepped out of that network for a short period of time, actually, just the past, you know, since modernity. And now we're starting to use science to understand interspecies communication. But when we humble ourselves and become receptive, when we shed some of that hubris about being on the top of the food chain and being in charge of the world, or that arrogance that the natural world has nothing to teach us, we've evolved past that. And when we allow ourselves to become, again, part of this living, breathing earth, we discover that we are part of this interspecies community that we can have. And it's actually quite satisfying to have friendships with plants and flowers, trees and rocks, bamboo and sky that we are part of this family of relations. And there can be a sense of, of fullness and wonder in coming back home to the natural worlds, coming back into community with all beings. This koan, the oak tree in the front yard, or the maple, cedar, fir, alder in the forest, is also a practice that we can carry around with us when we're not in the forest, when we're not sitting with a tree. And this is another element of the koan, that the oak tree, cedar tree, maple tree can meet us in the midst of our seemingly human life. How does an oak tree sit during a panic attack? How does an oak tree breathe? When there is a storm of thoughts coming through, what does a cedar tree do? Maybe watch how it responds to the wind. Can you sit like a tree during, during formal meditation? Can you listen like a tree to a Dharma talk? How does a tree walk? during the forest walk or walking to the cafeteria, how does a tree walk? How does a tree use the bathroom? Eat, rest. What is it like to bring tree energy into some of the small interpersonal interactions we have during Sashin? Wash up, work, when walking by somebody else, when noticing someone. A lot of people notice the mind can be subtly judgmental whenever there's 
even just a small, like at the tea table, small interpersonal interaction. And what is it like if you were practicing as a tree? How would a tree respond to the person who didn't clean up the half and half that they spilled? Or who wasn't paying attention and stepped on your foot? People step on trees' roots all the time, and they don't get mad. Or at least they forgive us. <laughs> Tree practice is a practice chosen Roshi, my teacher, introduced during my second session here. I've now sat over three years of meditation retreats, and I still come back to this um, practice of tree. The tree is a powerful archetypal image. In the story of Apollo, the sun god's birth, his twin sister Artemis, the moon goddess, was born first. And it, it's said that Apollo's birth was much more difficult for their mother. And she became a tree which her mother held onto while giving birth to Apollo. The axis mundi, the world tree, is the axis between heaven and earth. The Buddha's birth mirrors this story in some ways. When the Buddha's mother was traveling to her home village to give birth, she went into labor while she was on the journey and gave birth to the Buddha while holding on to a saw tree. And it said when the Buddha was born, they took seven steps, pointed up to the heaven and down to the earth, standing, and said, <clears throat> between heaven and earth, I alone am the Holy One. Between heaven and earth, I alone am the Holy One. The Buddha in that story, in that myth, becomes the Axis Mundi, the axis of the world, the world tree, reaching both up into the heavens and down into the earth, reminding us that we too as human beings stand upright, sit upright, that we too are this access point between heaven and earth, between sky and soil. We stand and sit between the furthest reaches of the cosmos and this material body, connected to both earth and sky, matter and consciousness, soma and awareness, right here, where our bodies are planted is the only place we can stand. And we are the only ones who can stand right here like this. We are connected to earth, grasses, and myriad beings in our sitting, in our walking. And not a single other can occupy this aspect of the universe, the one that we do. The tree features throughout the pivotal moments of the Buddha's life, which I thought was interesting. When the Buddha was a child, he had an experience of natural meditation while sitting under a rose apple tree, while his father and some of the other men in the village were plowing the fields. He entered a state of 
simple calm and happiness. And I think oftentimes people, when they come to meditation, start to recall these events in their own childhood where they just had a, a kind of simple maybe inquiry or experience of oneness or calm or simple happiness. And this is the Buddha's story of that. And he just so happened to be under a tree. So when he recollected this memory years later after being on an arduous spiritual journey of asceticism, um, his vow for awakening was renewed. And after taking some simple rice porridge for a meal, he resolved to sit under the Bodhi tree until he attained awakening. So he recreated, you know, we tell you don't recreate. He recreated that a little bit by sitting under a tree, taking refuge in uh, the presence of the tree and the presence of the earth. And it was during this meditation period where the Buddha resolved to awaken that they were tempted by great doubt, great, great doubt, and touched the earth to reground their attention and find solace. And the story goes that the earth goddess rose up and met the Buddha's touch, saying, I witness your aspiration, practice, and awakening. You belong here. And the doubting voice with all its forces of temptation and delusion slinked off. I feel like the wind is a better teacher than me at the moment. You can listen to both or choose one. So in this story, um, the Pali version of this story, the voice of doubt is personified as a being called Mara, the tempter. And you can think of this as the voice of skeptical doubt or the inner critic or the voice that comes up from time to time and says, what are you doing? You don't deserve awakening. You don't deserve this state of mind. You're not good enough. You're doing something wrong. No, you're never going to get it. You're never going to get enlightened. You should stop. And the Buddha demonstrated that the earth doesn't buy those thoughts. The earth doesn't believe them. That's just your small mind. The earth sees your presence and your kindness, your attention and your care. The earth sees you as a living being worthy of love and protection. This earth goddess was the earliest form of Kshiti Garbha Bodhisattva, 
the earth-protecting bodhisattva whose vow is to care for, for all beings that come from the earth. And this is Jizo Bodhisattva. Another translation is earth womb, earth womb bodhisattva. And you see Jizo all over this place. He's the, not that happy one, but the um, monk looking one. And inside and outside, all over the garden, the memorial garden, you'll see different depictions of Jizo. You can see Jizo also as the earth goddess. Well, if you ask for help, we'll rise up and come to meet you, to meet your request. Might not always come in a form you can recognize right away, but help is always available. The earth touching mudra, I've been doing it. I know not everyone can see me, but it's um, just placing one's fingertips down into the earth and the other hand is resting just on the thigh. And you can see the Buddha in the front yard, in the entrance to the monastery. The, that's probably our biggest Buddha statue. Uh, the Buddha is doing that mudra. And the one in the upper meadow, the high upper meadow, is also a depiction of the earth-touching mudra. During the Sashin, though, we are actualizing the earth-touching mudra in many different ways by lying on the earth. Notice what it feels like to lie on your back and then also on your belly. Has anyone tried that yet? And on your sides, sitting directly on the earth. Oh, when you have the opportunity don't use a cushion or a plastic thing and just sit. Let your body sit on the earth. I do it during meals and see what that feels like. I like to sit in the wide leg position like uh, yoga splits. Not so wide, but just open. Really root my body into the earth. What is it like to let the palms of your hands touch the earth? The palms are so receptive. There are many, um, you know, there's so much we can feel with the hands. And so letting the, the palms touch the earth and feel the earth, but also the backs of your hands or your face, your nose and ears. What's it like to kiss the earth? Or let your ears get close to the grass and the soil. There are many ways to touch the earth. There are many ways to take refuge in the earth. There are many ways to shower the earth in kindness and care. And during the Sashin, I think we are discovering and rediscovering the reciprocity that not only is it healing for our own bodies and nervous systems to lie directly on the earth, belly down, back down, or to touch the earth or, or stand barefoot on the earth, but also that our presence and kindness is, is healing for the earth. 
back to the stories of the Buddha. So the Buddha was awakened sitting under the Bodhi tree. The Buddha sat through the night under the Bodhi tree with a resolved uh, vow not to get up until they, they really realized themselves, until they were fully awakened. And upon seeing the dawning of the morning star, the Buddha had an awakening experience, saw through the thinking mind and this self-sensing mind into the nature of mind. And on the morning of her awakening, the Buddha said, I, together with all beings and the great earth, I, together with all beings and the great earth, are now simultaneously awake. How is this true right now? These mythic stories are pointing back to our direct experience. How are we, together with all beings and the great earth, simultaneously awake? The Buddha continued throughout their life to practice and teach meditation, living much of their life in forests, outdoors, among the natural world. And then when the Buddha passed away, they passed away between two salt trees lying on their side as flowers rained down from the heavens and the earth shook to honor the life of an awakened being. These stories, of course, have mythic elements. And these elements, I think, are, are interesting because they show how the Buddha's awakened life was intimately intertwined in the life of the natural world. The earth and sky, flowers and trees responded to the Buddha's clarity and compassion. Her presence directly impacted the earth. And these myths, the key moments of the Buddha's life, show that the key moments of the Buddha's life include trees. Trees supported the awakening life of the Buddha. Trees remind us of our true nature. Perhaps we are rootless trees, walking trees, always ever connected to earth and soil, and also an open sky. We move between the world of the dark, buried, unknown, and the spacious light of knowing awareness. And this is Zazen. We sit between heaven and earth, and, and, and sitting is an act of forgetting. Sitting is an act of forgetting letting the plans, ideas, self-referential thoughts, sense of self go. Letting all the energy it takes to be special, smart, informed go. And entering the dark unknown. Dogen Zenji says, forgetting the self. The dark unknown, the great mystery, as Kodo referenced. And then maybe as we let go, 
Something hooks us. Our attention temporarily, a strange sensation, an old memory, a forgotten dream, a judgmental thought, a fixed belief, a panic. And with the relative stability of mind, we get to shine the light of awareness and attend to this painful sensation of body, heart, mind. We get to see what it's really made of, how long it lasts, its textures and dimensions, its voices and colors and attendant thoughts and feelings. And then we return again, forgetting the self, emptying the mind, returning to the dark soil of unknowing. And then perhaps a flash of insight comes, a feeling of interconnection or objective boundless love. And then we return again, forgetting all that's come before, forgetting who we think we are to the dark soil of Zazen again. The dark soil of Zazen, the sky of mind. What is the meaning of all this Zazen? The oak tree in the garden. Uchiyama Roshi, a somewhat famous recent Japanese Zen master used to say, Zazen is good for nothing. Zazen is good for nothing. Another teacher has commented, a good thing isn't as good as nothing. A good thing isn't as good as nothing. The oak tree, the cedar tree, they can show us how to be not so special, how to sit unadorned that the way things are, the way things are is beautiful and fresh, that being alone is an illusion. They can reveal the wisdom of non-attainment as they let themselves be exactly as they are. Can you see the miracle of you? The miracle of you just as you are? that your gifts, beauty, awesomeness come from who you are, who you are as presence, your presence, and not what you do or what you think or what you believe, but your essence is your gift. Your presence is your gift. Mary Oliver says, the dream of my life is to lie down by a slow river and stare at the light in the trees to learn something by being nothing a little while, but the rich lens of attention. To learn something by being nothing a little while but the rich lens of attention. 
So let's spend the rest of the day, the rest of the week, maybe the rest of our lives, learning from the wisdom of trees, diving deeply into the world of forest and trees, the world quiet of human thoughts or beliefs. This is from Melodoma Somme again. The power of quiet is great. It generates the same feelings in everything one encounters. It vibrates with the cosmic rhythm of oneness. It is everywhere, available to anyone at any time. It is us, the force within us that makes us stable, trusting, and loving. It is contemplation contemplating us. Peace is letting go. Peace is letting go, returning the, to the silence that cannot enter the realm of words because it is too pure to be contained in words. This is why the trees, the stone, the river, and the mountain are quiet. And Mary Oliver again, when I am among the trees, especially the willows and the honey locust, equally the beech, the oaks and the pines, they give off such hints of gladness. I would almost say that they save me and daily. I am so distant from the hope of myself in which I have goodness and discernment and never hurry through the world, but walk slowly and bow often. Around me, the trees stir in their leaves and call out, stay a while. And they call again, it's simple, they say, and you too have come into the world to do this, to go easy, to be filled with light and to shine. <laughs>